0: You know, it's been said that uh, we hear what we want to hear, right? You ever heard that saying, we hear what we want to hear? Have you heard the follow-up to it? It's not only we hear what we want to hear, but we hear what we want to hear and we do what we want to do. I call that selective hearing. I remember years ago... I remember years ago, I used to sit in the living room and Krista would be talking and uh, she thought I had selective hearing only to find out that I really needed hearing aids. And, uh, but we have selective hearing, don't we? We have selective, here's another thing, not only do we have selective hearing, we have selective doing, right? It's like, I remember when I was a, a young, young boy and my dad would tell me to do something, I had selective doing, It was like I would pick and choose that which I did, and there were consequences for my choices. In fact, uh, I believe the problem uh, when it comes to this idea of selective hearing and selective doing, I believe that problem started for each and every one of us in this room when we were about, oh, I don't know, when did we start figuring things out? Maybe two? Right? We started figuring out who the good cop and who the bad cop was between mom and dad, or grandpa and grandma. We knew how to work the system, didn't we? (laughs) <laughs> thank you. Well, Linda, we thank you for that. right? So we, so we figured out how to work the system, right? And some of you are still working the system. I mean, some of us are 50 and 60 and beyond years, and we're still working that selective hearing and selective doing. We made decisions then, and we still make decisions now based on desire. You see, when I was a child... I thought as a child, and I made decisions based on the thoughts and desires of a child. And I remember that sometimes my desires, you know, I'm I'm a big desire, action, consequence guy. And so I remember as a child, my desires, um, I, I had a certain desire, and so I took a specific action, which led to some very painful consequences when I was a young boy. You see, I was raised up in an era when it was, Uh, not thought of bad if dad were to take off his belt. And to show you, I used to tell people that my dad didn't have a weapon of mass destruction. He had a weapon of mass instruction. (laughs) And he applied that instruction to the rear of my britches time and time again. My response was always based on desires, and and today I want us to consider, just for a few moments, and, and really I'm going to move as fast as I can, I want us to consider our response when it comes to spiritual things. I mean, when God calls, do we actually pick up the phone, or do we let it go to voicemail? Do we just let him leave a message, are we responding to God's call in our life? And so if you'll notice with me, I want us to consider a few things because I think really, and this is not an exhaustive message, but really I can see three, res- three responses or three calls very quickly in each and every one of our lives. And the first response that we all go through is that response that we have to God's offer and call of salvation, right? God offers and calls us to salvation. In fact, it was Jesus who declared in Luke chapter 19, verse number 10, he said that he had come to seek and save that which was lost. Also, he lovingly reached out to those Jewish people who were under the laborious uh, nature of the law, remember? And he says this in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. He says, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He says, there's a better way. I'm offering you a better way. Get out from under the burden of the law. In Matthew chapter 20, verse 28. The Bible speaks of God's ultimate offer and call of salvation. In fact, it's here that Jesus says the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Oh yes, during his exchange, Travis and I were talking, and and I think he was preaching on this passage on Wednesday night, and we were talking about Jesus. He had that discussion with Nicodemus at night. And Nicodemus comes to him and the very first thing that Jesus says in John 3:3, he says, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. In fact, if you go on in that passage, it's actually in verse number 6 that Jesus says, uh, Whatsoever is flesh is of flesh and whatsoever is of spirit is of spirit. He talks about this spiritual birth that each and every one of us must have. And if we're to go into Scripture, and we're not go there for sake of time, but if we were to look at Romans chapter 3.23, that reveals the fact that each and every one of us in this room, anybody that's listening, it's a good feel-good message. We're all sinners, right? It reveals that we're all sinners. But the really beautiful part of this, the book of Romans is that just a few short chapters later, it says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. See, see, we don't have to dwell in the land of sinfulness. We can actually call out upon the name of the Lord and receive forgiveness of sin. But the question is, we talk about all this, but the question is, have you picked up the call? Have you responded to the call for salvation? It was Paul and Silas's message to the Philippian jailer in Acts 16, 31. It's the same message for you and I today. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and thy house. The potential is that, sir, if you're here and you've never trusted Christ, if today you would open up your heart and you would come to the realization and say, yes, God, I actually realize that you exist. Yes, God, I believe that you sent your son Jesus Christ to this earth because you loved us and that you gave him as a ransom for many. And so God, I'm calling upon the name of Jesus to forgive me of my sins and to come into my life and to change me. The potential is there that that could not only change you, but it could change your entire family. I believe it would change your entire family. In Acts chapter 4, we were there last week. Peter and John, they were faced with a situation and They were giving defense of their faith and what they had been preaching and teaching in. And they say in Acts 4, verse number 12, it says, neither is there salvation in any other. They're speaking of Jesus. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. A small, obscure passage that we we rarely read is 1 John chapter 5. In the beginning of 1 John chapter 5, verse number 1, the Bible tells us, whosoever believes that Jesus Christ believes uh, that Jesus is the Christ, it tells us that He is born of God. Amen. Oh yes, the first response. The first response to God's, is to God's offer and call of salvation. Listen, if you're here and you have never realized that you need a Savior, man, I pray that today, beyond anything else that's said, that today would be the day, the most glorious day in your life, that you would realize your need and that you would call out, on the name of the Lord. That you would actually, as I said at the beginning, that you would actually hear, have that selective hearing, but also have selective doing in trusting Christ as your Savior. But the second response I see, flip over with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Because you see, after we hear and respond to God's offer and call of salvation, we have a responsibility. And that second response that all of us have is this idea of God's call to follow Jesus Christ as our example? We have a responsibility to follow Him as our example. If you uh, have been saved, if your life has been changed through Jesus Christ, we have this call. Now, notice what the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Let me get over there. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. In verse number 14, or actually, let me just drop down to verse number 17. We'll look at verse 14 here in a little bit. Verse number 17, the Bible says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Listen, when Christ comes in, things change. Period. Really, I mean, I don't know how else to say it. When Christ comes in, things change. See, if things don't begin to change in our life, Something's wrong. Something's wrong. Something, something's not right. If, if you're sitting here today or you're listening to the message today and you say that Christ is coming to your life, He has changed you, you have received Christ as the Lord and Savior of your life and things do not begin to change in your life, something is wrong. Something has gone awry. It was that famous African uh, pastor uh, and preacher of the 1800s. His name was John Jasper. He was born here in Virginia on July 4th, 1812. This was an African-American preacher, and he translated this verse this way, and you may have heard this before. John Jasper used to say it like this. He said, if you is what you was, then you ain't. I kind of like that. He kind of like, like cleans it all up for us, right? He said, if you is what you was, you ain't. Guys. Guys. If we have responded to the call for salvation, if we have accepted Christ as our Savior, the second call is to follow Jesus as our example. Listen, Peter reminds us that no matter what we're facing, whether it be good, bad, or ugly, or whatever. He was speaking to those persecuted Jewish Christians that were dispersed all over. But in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse number 21, he says, For here unto ye were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example, that ye should follow his steps. Paul writes to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. He says, Be ye followers are of me, even as also I am of Christ. Paul was saying, church, Follow me, but don't follow me as a man. Follow my example as I follow the example of Jesus Christ. I think about Jesus in John, chapter, or, or, yeah, in John chapter 13. You remember after he washes his disciples' feet, he says this in John 13, verse 15 and following. He says, For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done unto you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than. Than he that sent him. He was talking about there was a there was a leadership structure. As he followed his father's will, we were to follow his will and his example. Third John, in chapter one, verse number eleven, the Bible says, "Beloved, follow not that which is evil, but that which is good. He that doeth good is of God, but he that doeth evil hath not seen God." The truth is, folks. The more that we follow, the more that we imitate Jesus Christ, the more that we become like Him. The world, I was looking at some notes that I scribbled in my Bible over by Philippians chapter 2. You know, in Philippians chapter 2, the Bible says, Look not every man on his own things but every man also on the things of others. And then in verse number five, it says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. I have these these notes written in my Bible right there at that passage that simply say, the world says it's all about me. And yet God says it's all about others. God says it's all about others. He said, I love the world so much that I'm going to willingly send my son to die for the sins of the world. That's the good news. The good news is not that we have a beautiful place to sit in. I mean, that's wonderful. But the good news here this morning is not how we're dressed or how we appear. The good news this morning is that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's the good news. Oh, that's what we should be sharing with others as we come into contact with them. And the only way, and when I think about this passage in Philippians 2, verse number 5, the only way that you and I will ever follow the example of Jesus Christ, the only way, as that verse, verse 5 says, that you and I will have the mind of Christ, I say this all the time, is to actually have the mind of Christ. To actually do more than sit our Bible on the shelf after we go home. To do more than just thumb through uh, 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 an app on our phone once every blue moon when we're, in, when, when we're having a struggle in our life. We have to have the mind of Christ. We've got to get into God's Word. This is where we learn the mind of Christ. Oh, we have our first response The call and offer of salvation. Our second response is to follow the example of our Lord Jesus Christ. But our third response is really what I want us to consider today, which is really where I wanted to get to very quickly. And that's this response invariably. It's tied to the first and second response. But our third response is God's call for you and I to multiply. He's called every one of us who have ever called upon the name of the Lord to win souls. He wants us to multiply and people like, Oh my gosh, I'm called to win souls? I thought that was your job. Why, why, why are you talking to us about multiplying? Well, look with me back at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If you're there, look up at verse 14. In verse number 14 of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the Bible says, For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead, and that he died for all, That they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Now drop down, since we've already read verse 17, drop down to verse number 18. Look at verse number 18, same passage. And all things are of God, and hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given us, notice what God's given us, the ministry of reconciliation. Verse number 19 To wit, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto who? Us, hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. See, as it was as Travis read earlier, as it was communicated in Matthew chapter four, Jesus' message to Simon Peter and Andrew still applies to you and I today. He says, "Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men." In fact, over in Matthew chapter 28, we know this passage iconically as the great what? It's the great commission, right? In Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and 20, as believers, as a church, as we go, the Bible says, go ye therefore. That, that phrase, go ye, is simply the idea that as you go, as you traverse this world, as you move, as you have your being, as you live. It says, as you go therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. It goes on telling us that we should teach them to observe all things whatsoever the Lord has commanded and then the promise that he will be with us even into the end of the world. Oh, what a wonderful thought that we're called to go out and to multiply and to, and to witness and to share our faith with others. In fact, Acts 1, verse number 8, reminds us of our call to be witnesses everywhere we go. And so what does that mean? I was talking with Travis and I said, what does a witness do in a court case? If a witness gets up on the witness stand, a witness basically gives testimony of the things that they have seen, the things that they have heard, and the things that they have experienced in a court setting, right? That's all that we're called to do. Give testimony, guys, of the things that you have seen, the things that you have heard, the things that you have experienced. If you have seen and heard and experienced Jesus Christ in a real way in your life, the Bible says that you ought to give testimony of that. You ought to be witnesses of that. If you have not received Christ, how can you be expected to go out and to give witness of Christ? And so this is is what we're called to do. But the conundrum again goes back to Selective hearing and selective doing. Oh, I think about the disciples in the early church. If you were here last week and listen or listened to last week's message, we were talking about how the council they were essentially trying the actions of Peter and John. And in Acts chapter 4, verses 18 and following, the Bible says this: it says that they called them and commanded them not to speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus. But if you remember Peter and John's response, Peter and John, they answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than to God, judge ye, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and which we have heard. Guys, here's 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 the problem. Remember we read, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away, behold, all things are become new. As John Jasper said, if you is what you was, then you ain't. Well, if my life has been changed, if my life has radically been changed by the power of the gospel, do we not see that that's going to impact the way that we live? Oh, we're called to respond. As a church, we're to respond to God's call in our life. This was the same thing, not only with the disciples in the early church, this was the same thing with the Old Testament prophets. They were called to go out and share God's word. And you know, they had a choice, right? They had a choice whether they were going to obey or disobey. In fact, one such situation, I think of Jonah. In Jonah chapter 1, notice what verse number 1 and 2 simply says. And this isn't an exclusive message on Jonah. But notice, the Bible says in Jonah chapter 1, Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh. It's pretty pretty clear, right? The word of the Lord says to Jonah, Arise, in other words, get up. And then the second thing he says is, Go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. And so what we see, if you know the story of Jonah, if you've heard of the story of Jonah beyond just the great fish that swallows up Jonah and spits him out on the shore three days later, if you know anything about is that God calls and instructs Jonah and tells Jonah exactly what he's supposed to do. But what we see in the story is that Jonah, he heard what he wanted to hear, right? And then he turned around and did what he wanted to do. The Bible says he went to flee over to Tarshish. He gets on the ship and we know the rest of the story. (laughs) The winds start pounding. And by the way, it's not because of the sin of the sinful men on the ship. It's because of Jonah's sin, right? And we know that God sends this great wind. We know that God prepares the gourd. God prepares the great fish, the gourd, the, the worm, the vehement east wind. We know all these things. But it's like I say to people all the time. Jonah heard what he wanted to do, and Jonah did, did what he wanted. To, Jonah heard what he wanted to hear, and he did what he wanted to do. That reminds me of something I always say. We make choices, and choices make us. God says, "I want you to go and to multiply. Go you therefore and preach the gospel to every creature. Listen. He wants us to go and to be His witnesses into all the world. In Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the uttermost part of the earth. And so His instructions, His admonition, His encouragement, if you please, is clear in Scripture. And yet we have a choice. And the crazy thing is, Proverbs eleven thirty says, The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he that winneth souls is wise. And we understand this thing, and yet there's some reason why we fail to respond. What are the reasons we fail to respond to God's call, to witness, to win souls, to multiply? What are those reasons? Well, I suggest a few. If you're a note taker, you can write these, these words down. I've tried to keep the alliteration pretty simple, and they're not new. Some of them have been used down through the quarters of time. In fact, I remember uh, hearing these many, many years ago, the number one reason why we don't respond to god's call to multiply or to win souls is that old reason called proxy it's this idea of proxy lord send somebody else let's send brian and sandy out to be missionaries to tell people about jesus well folks they're going to Nicaragua. Nicaragua, y'all been waiting for me to say that for months God's called them to tell people in Nicaragua about Jesus. But while they're here on furlough, God's called them to tell people about Jesus right up here in Culpeper and Remington and Warrington and anywhere they go. But God's called you and I to be the missionaries here in Warrington. He's called you to be the missionary in Manassas. He's called you to be the missionary in Bristow and Gainesville and Haymarket. And yes, he's even called some of you to tread those waters of Bealton and be a missionary out there. This is, this is a great privilege it's a great privilege guys that God would even count us worthy to go out and be able to share our faith with other people but see we we have this idea of proxy the idea that says send somebody else then we have the idea of professionalism let the pastor or the pastoral staff do it pastor that's your job that's why we pay you no it's not no it's not if that's the reason you pay me you're in trouble I'm going to tell people about Jesus because the love of Christ constrains me to tell people about Jesus. My job is found in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 and 12. My job is to equip the saints, right? And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Now notice what the very next work, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. I'm here to try and encourage you to get out there and win souls. I'm here to try and challenge you to go do what God says that he's going to do through you anyway. That's what he told uh, Simon, Peter, and Andrew. He says, follow me and I'll do the work. He put the onus on himself. He says, I'm not asking you to be super gifted. I'm telling you that if you follow me, I will make you fishers of men. I'll cause you to multiply, but here's the prerequisite. You must follow me. We have that idea of professionalism. Sorry, I'm getting a little worked up. Australia friends, please forgive me. I'm a little worked up. What about the third P? Pessimism. Pessimism creeps in. And we don't want to respond to the call to win souls because of pessimism. And and pessimism is seen in our our current culture like this. Well, Pastor, I don't want to be seen as being too narrow-minded. You know? I, I, I kind of like to think about all roads lead to heaven. Guys, can I tell you that it was Jesus Christ himself who told his disciples in John chapter 14, verse 6. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. That's about as narrow as you get. Jesus wasn't saying there, I'm one of many ways. He was saying, I am the only way. It's not a pessimistic message. It should be a wonderful message. But you know what? Sometimes we make it pessimistic because we go out with the the mean face. It's like, ooh, I'm a Baptist. I'm going to tell somebody about Jesus. How about just be a Christian? Quit worrying about being a Baptist and just be a Christ follower. How about that for once in a while? Oh, pessimism creeps in. But Jesus said in John chapter 12, verse 32, he said, And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. Oh, but then the fourth one sets in, and that's panic. Anybody ever panicked? You're thinking, you're praying, you're wanting to share your faith with a friend, and all of a sudden panic sets in. Panic is seen in our fear. We get fearful of what somebody might say if we tell them that we love the Lord. But the Bible tells us there is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear. The truth is, folks, that you and I must prepare ourselves just like we would prepare ourselves to give CPR life saving steps. How is it that we'll take a CPR class so that we could save somebody's life physically? We could be there on the scene. Mark, we could be there on the scene with the defibrillator that we got to get. We could be doing all those things, right? We could be offering life-saving steps physically and yet fail to give them life-saving steps spiritually. Because one thing I know is the Bible says our life is like a vapor. It appears for a little while, and then it vanishes away. In Proverbs 27.1, the Bible says, Boast not thyself for tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. See, we can't allow... Panic uh, or procrastination. Procrastination is another thing, this idea of, of procrastinating. Well, I've got time. I've got time. I'll tell them tomorrow, Pastor. What, what's the big deal of responding to God's call today? We've got time. Folks, we don't have time. We only have today. In fact, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse number 2, says that now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. Oh, we only have what we have right now. We better quit trying to write a check that we're not able to cash. Oh, procrastination. But uh, but here's here's the last one. Turn with me to 2 Timothy 3 because we want to wrap this up. Here's probably the reason this is crazy, guys. And I want you to understand before we read this passage, I understand the context of this passage. I do, and I do not want to do a disservice to what Paul is writing here in 2 Timothy chapter 3. But I think if we're, if, we're, if we're diligent, we could see some principles that we could take away. And this last reason that I don't think we respond is personal preference. I had a different word, but I wanted to be all-inclusive of what's going on here in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Turn there with me if you haven't done so already. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, the Bible says, This know also, that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, verse number 5, but denying the power thereof. And Paul writes, he says, from such turn away. Folks, if you and I are consumed with the love of ourselves, if we're consumed with the love of our money, if we're consumed with the love of personal glory and the love of personal, personal pleasure, then you and I will never, ever, ever Ever multiply and many well-intended people fall into this trap fall into this this Josh as you said the Esau syndrome many people fall in the Esau syndrome Josh and I were praying this morning he, we were talking about this and here's the thing guys We we may have a desire to tell others. We may may even intellectually and even in a small part of our hearts say, man, I want to tell my friends about Jesus. I want to tell my coworkers and my family about Jesus. But if I have a love of money, if I have a love of pleasure, if I have a love of self, if I have a love of my own glory, if my own personal preferences come before Jesus, then I will never, ever, ever share my faith. Because the Bible tells us that we cannot serve two masters at one time. See, Jesus said, if you follow me, I will make you fishers of men. All six of these reasons, and I'm sure there's many, many more. But they're all just simple excuses. Excuses as to why we don't respond to this third call that I'm speaking about this morning. The good news is that if we follow and become more like Jesus, he will strengthen us and he will enable us to share that gospel message. Because like I said, he put the onus on himself. He said, I will make you to become fishers of men. And so as we close, I just want to remind us all that as we walk out these doors today, as we walk out these doors, just remember this. The priority of the message that we're carrying to a lost and dying world is Jesus. Right? The priority of the message is not Battlefield Baptist. The priority is not Pastor Greg. The priority is not your children, your grandchildren, your grandpa who led you to Christ. The priority of the message when we go out of this place is Jesus and Jesus Christ alone. It was the Apostle Paul who, writing to that church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and verse number 1 and following, says, "...and I, brethren, when I came unto you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God." Verse number two, for I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. Oh yes, the message that we carry out these doors is Jesus. In fact, we don't even have time to, to really to go there. But over and over and over again, Jesus declares his authority and his divinity in Scripture. In John 6.51, he says, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. In John 8.12, he said, I am the light of the world. He that follow me. Uh, shall walk in he that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. In John 10, 9, he said, I'm the door. Two verses later, he said, I'm the good shepherd. In John 11, 25 and 26, he said, I am the resurrection and life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And he goes on and on. In John 14, we've already covered it. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. In John 15, he says, I am the vine, and my Father is the husbandman. In Revelation chapter 1, Jesus proclaimed that he was the first and the last. In verse number 18, he says, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And then after he said that, he says, oh, by the way, I have the keys of hell and death. The message, the priority of the message is Jesus. So as we go out of here, remember the priority of the message. But also as you go out these doors, remember the power that works in the message. The Holy Spirit power. Power. The same Holy Spirit power that works inside of you and me. The same Holy Spirit power that gives us the fruit of the Spirit. Remember we were talking the very, first, the very first message on this series. I said, how do we go about building upon the right foundation? What would it look like if we built the church based on the gifts that we have already been given? How if we built the church on love and joy and peace and long-suffering, and gentleness, and on and on. What if, we, what if we used those things to build the church rather than hate and discontent and slander and gossip in the things that so many churches fall prey to? Disunity and division and discord. Oh, the power of our message is the Holy Spirit. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, "'Let your light so shine before men "'that they may see your good works "'and glorify your Father which is in heaven.'" And then finally, the proof of our message. The proof of our message is your life. How are you living? See, because there's one thing I know. If the way you live doesn't match the verbal message that you're communicating, you can forget it. You can forget it. You can go all you want up into the workplace and invite them for Easter special Sunday. You can invite them for Memorial Day thing. You can invite them for Christmas service. And all, but if your life is not matching the verbal message that you are communicating, we can forget it. Huh. Healthy churches respond to God's call. First, through salvation. Secondly, through following the example of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But we also, if we're going to be a healthy church, we must respond to this third call to win souls, to multiply. This has not been a strategic message on how to go out and win souls, but simply to remind us of the necessity for us to go out these doors and to proclaim the truth that Jesus saves, Jesus saves, Jesus saves. I have heard the joyful sound. Jesus saves. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like more information about our ministry, check out our website at battlefieldbaptist.org or follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We'll see you next time.